All right, welcome to the Couch GM podcast. We have another live edition, and we got some news right now. We were talking a little off the air before this started, but Washington State University and Oregon State University were just granted, um, essentially, uh, I could read the official terminology, but they were ruled in favor of by a judge in Whitman County. So that essentially the judge states that Washington State and Oregon State have sole voting rights of the Pac-12 conference moving forward which is a massive Huge. win, massive win. They have potential control of, you know, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars after this year. So d- massive news to start the night. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, it seems like it's vindication for WSU and uh, OSU. We had that lawyer on earlier this year, a couple months ago, right. definitely go, go back and check that out. He predicted that it was actually that the judge would go in favor of the other eight teams in the PAC 10, right? Because remember, USC and UCLA, they're already out. But the fact that a judge ruled in favor of WSU and OSU at the first step is gigantic because now they control all the money. Oregon, UW, the Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado, none of those schools have any control over the money. And that is going to be huge for Oregon State and Washington State. Washington State, who's already in a little bit of debt, but Oregon State, Oregon State's done pretty well with their money. They were smart. They paid off a lot of their debt right once they got their Pac-12 money. They didn't do what a lot of schools did before where they just, oh, we're probably going to reach the heights of this contract, so let's start spending, spending, spending. And now when the Pac-12 didn't reach those heights, now you're in debt, right? So Oregon State paid a lot of that off. WSU and OSU, they now have the opportunity, if they're able to win through the different appeals processes, they might be able to buy their way into a big-time conference And all of a sudden, looking like a team and two teams that you were going to be left out, we were talking, well, maybe you make it into the Mountain West. Maybe you combine the Mountain West Pac-12, keep it the Pac-12 just for like money rights, but it's not going to be as much. Now you might be able to buy your way into some big-time college football. You might be able to stay in a power conference. That is gigantic news for WSU and LSU. Yeah, and with some of the numbers that Dylan was throwing around earlier in a text, um, he was saying like, potentially $200 million. The article that I saw was like 50 to 150 total, but the numbers, the assets and liabilities are up in the air. But if that can get you a foot in the door to be in the the big 12 moving forward, instead of having to, you know, salvage the PAC 12 and bring in the mountain West schools. The other option is to just move with the PAC PAC two moving forward. You can be an independent conference for two years before you need to have eight universities to remain a power five conference. Or you could just force rebuild with the Mountain West schools, kind of as you described, uh, mm. sooner rather than later. And then maybe down the road when there's another realignment, then some of these schools that just departed the conference would come crawling back, asking to be added back into the Pac-12. Right, because there's already schools, Arizona, who they're in <laughs> real financial hardship right now. And it's a little bit different with Arizona because they're, you know, they are close to the Big Ten teams that they're going to play anyways. But there's some serious travel expenses that a lot of these teams are going to have to undertake, specifically University of California, Berkeley and Stanford. They have to go all the way across the country. Most of their games are all the way over by the Atlantic Ocean, not by the Pacific, which is where they're at. It's across the country. (laughs) You're going to have to travel. And that's not just for football. That's for basketball. That's for baseball. That's for water polo. That's for all these different sports that you play. You have to travel all the way across the country. Your closest game, not in your rivalry, is SMU in freaking Texas. You're talking about a three- to four-hour flight as your closest travel game. 
Now you don't have to deal with that anymore. You know, and you have you have this money here set aside for Oregon State, Washington State, to where you might just want to hold on to it. These other teams, they go and do this for five, six, seven years. They realize it isn't worth it, and they all come crawling back to you. It's insane. Yeah, just like Reflect the Sun says, maybe they'll come crawling back. It's insane the travel for all of them. I mean, once they start to see the stress right. that it's putting on the players, then at some point a decision is going to have to be made. And it's unfortunate for everybody involved, but uh, this is just where the money gets you at this point. Um, right. Yeah. And well, do you want to? Exp- yeah. Sorry. The it. other thing too is, if we think that realignment is is done, it isn't because there were rumblings about Florida State, Clemson, University of Miami wanting out of the ACC. So if that conference crumbles, that money could be used to create a whole new conference where it's like PAC and ACC. It becomes like an all coast conference you know, type deal where you've got teams on the West Coast, teams on the East Coast. There's a bunch of different options here that have just now opened up for these two teams. Now, this is still the beginning of the process, right? Like the other Pac-10 teams, they can appeal and they can fight and they've already said they're going to appeal and they're going to fight. And it wouldn't shock me if this went all the way up as far as it can go, right? You're going to take it as far as you can. Deciding on this? I don't, right. Like, I don't know if I'm... I think that's, I think that's the last step. I'm not a lawyer, but right. That's, that's my thing. Like, are we really going to be arguing about conference realignment at the Supreme court? Like I would hope they'd have better things to do, but so uh, on that note, I believe in 1994 when there was the MLB lockout, uh, I believe, I don't know if it was just Bill Clinton talking about the lockout or if officially like the Supreme court was stepping in because it was such, it's such a big organization and, and affects so many different things that the federal level had to step in. I need to go back and look on that, but you never know. It could be escalated. There's a ton of money involved. It includes the entire country with all of these different conferences and and universities. 100%. One, and a lot of these schools, Cal Berkeley, Arizona, uh, they need this money. And so they're going to fight it as long as they can, because if they have, like, if they can go out and get this money, it's a huge deal for their, not just their athletic departments, but their, their university as well, because a lot of these uh, schools, they're operating at a financial deficit. And it's you want to exp- explain more about the Arizona? Um, yeah, so um, I'm getting this I'm getting this from OutKick, but it's, it's well known. It's been out there a bunch. So right yeah. now, um, the University of Arizona, their president, Robert Robbins, uh, he was in an Arizona Board of Regents meeting, and it's all about the university. And he said the university is a financial crisis. So what happened is basically Arizona modeled out the revenue and their expenses. And I don't know for how long, but it was for an extended period of time. And it's right around the PAC 12 forming, right? They were off on their revenue and their expenses by $240 million. They're $240 million in the hole. And so, what kind of happened and what it sounds like is they were expecting a certain amount of money. And a lot of people are going to link that to like the PAC 12 media rights deal. Um, They might link it to different projections that a lot of these universities had going into, you know, the next 10 years or whatever. And I, I'm not smart enough to come in here and say exactly what Arizona's issues were, but I'm sure there were a bunch similar to that. And then with the PAC 12 media rights, you didn't hit a lot of your numbers. So you didn't reach the revenues that you thought you were going to reach. And then COVID hit. 
And when COVID hit, there were a lot of universities that lost a lot of money. People stopped going to school. Um, people, you know, people dropped out, people left and went other places. You still have contracts. So you have to pl- pay people for certain things. Certain prices went up, right? Inflation, stuff like that. And now that, you know, COVID for the most part isn't, we're not in a pandemic anymore, right? I believe that's been announced. I think I, so. I don't want to speak could be about, wrong. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get in trouble, <laughs> but I believe we are out of the pandemic, right? You're still not to the level of where you were at before the pandemic with student enrollment and with donations and with, you know, donors coming in and giving you a lot of booster money. So not only did you not expand to the level you thought you could expand, you fell and you fell hard. And a lot of these universities, much like Arizona, I would assume you're 20, 25% down on just enrollment, not even counting donors, donations, stuff like that. So you end up losing a ton of money. And now Robbins is saying everything's on the table in terms of dealing with athletics. There's going to be a lot of tough decisions. They're talking about possibly cutting teams. They're not going to cut every team, you know, but they have to stay title nine compliant. I saw a thing where right now they have 23 university teams. The big 12 only makes you have 17 to be a member school. So if that's the case, you might have to cut six, but it's, it's not just at the athletic department. That's a university issue. So there's going to be a lot of big financial fallout from this and they need that money because a lot of that money, if they got to keep it when they left, they got to keep their portion that can go to helping out deal with some of these issues. If they don't get any of it, they're in the hole and they have to pay to get into these other, these other conferences. It's a big deal. You were saying you might not be smart enough to talk about the numbers, but I think it's the opposite to where it's like, you have to be so dumb to be able to talk about it because how do you miss a count for $240 million? You know, even if that's over 10 years, that's $24 million a year that you're miscalculating. And whether that's, again, you, you mentioned Arizona potentially banking on certain media rights, whether it was the Apple deal that was coming in or, another PAC 12 deal, uh, you name it, but that's just, that's more than a decimal point. That's complete mismanagement. And even if it was partially for COVID, I'm curious how much money these universities were getting from the government during COVID. Like everyone was getting Mm -hmm. checks like crazy. So that had to have covered something for the, the numbers that they, you know, the, the the decline Mm -hmm. in revenue that they saw, but this is just a wild mess. 100%, but you're starting to see why Arizona fought so hard. The dirty little secret was Arizona wanted out, and they didn't like the Pac-12 deal, and they wanted something more – like something that they knew was going to happen. The Pac-12 deal with Apple was this is your baseline. You could get to this. You could get to this, right? If you get all these people that subscribe and buy in, we'll keep bumping up what we give you, right? The problem was that was the last Pac-12 deal. And everyone thought that they'd hit this baseline number and then it was exponentially up. They never even hit the baseline. So you have a lot of these universities that have factored in like, oh, well, hey, I'm going to hit that. We're going to get that amount of money. I can start spending that money before I got it. You never got that amount of money. Now you're in deep trouble. So why Arizona, when they hear the Apple deal where it's like, well, you can hit this and then you can move to this and move to that. They're like, we don't want that. We did that last time and now we're in debt. And if it's coming out that you're $240 million in debt, they knew they were in deep trouble two, three years ago. They knew they were in in a world of hurt 
and they needed money and they needed money bad. So you now see why they are driving the boat so hard on let's get to the big 12 because the big 12 deal, that money's all right there. This is what you are getting. There's no clauses of going up or down. You are, here's, here's your money. You get it. So you can tell that they really felt they, they needed to get that type of deal and why it was better to move out of the Pac-12, why it was better for them to get to where they needed to be. Because I do have some leniency with universities. Who's supposed to expect that a pandemic's going to hit? No one, right? right? No one saw that coming. And so there are going to be times where, hey, you know what? We're in a little bit of debt right now. And a little bit of a debt for a university is a lot more than a little bit of debt for Will Ortner. But, you know, like you're going to be in a hundred million. Here. I don't know about you. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not in that much debt. <laughs> uh, I'm doing better than University of Arizona right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you when when COVID happened, you were expecting to be at a certain point and even your doomsday scenario, you know, COVID was way below that. So you lost you're going to lose some money. I get that. I understand that. And you're going to have donors that lose a lot of money and had issues and weren't able to work. And I mean, shoot, some probably lost businesses, lost jobs, totally understand all of that. But to be 240 million below, it it doesn't get much worse than that. That's negligence. Yeah. You're not going to be getting, you're selling off your athletic department. You're going to be getting rid of your uh, um, accounting department. That's what you need to get rid of. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and their annual, their annual entire athletic department, the budget for that is a hundred million. Budget's a hundred so million. The, They're for Arizona. Forty in the hole. In the hole. Jeez. There are going to be massive cuts, and yeah, it, because of Title Nine, it's going to have to be even, right? You can't like you can't just cut a bunch of women's teams. You can't just cut a bunch of men's teams. You have to cut a bunch of teams all the way down. Where do they find that money? I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I really don't know. You got to hope that someone uh, finds the next Nike and is like, ah, okay, I'll start throwing money. You need that Texas A&M oil money. You need to find oil in Arizona. That's what <laughs> right. Maybe they could turn cacti into something. I don't know if that's yeah. an option. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> cacti, they can put cacti water in cars and they'll run on it. And all of a sudden now it's a big deal, but the yeah. university of Arizona is in trouble. And if, Oregon State and Washington State win this lawsuit and they get to keep all the Pac-12 money. They're in more trouble than they were already in and they're already in in it pretty deep. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be wild to see, you know, as this court ruling continues, you know, UW and the the departing 10 schools are going to be um fighting it and they will be for months. This will take, you know, until these schools are basically starting next season, I feel like it's going to take that long. But um, with that being said, Oregon state is currently ranked 11th in the country. You know, in the video that I just made talking about the court ruling tonight, I was like, I know you're going to say Washington state is uh Owen six, their last six, they're four and six, but that's fine because, you know, we're winning court battles, Oregon state pack two brother, you know, they're 11th mm-hmm. in the country. They have a legitimate shot at winning the pack 12 this year. They beat yep. UW this weekend. They beat uh, U of O in the Civil War. Then you face UW yep. again in the Pac-12 title. Yep, it's all it's all out there in front of them. They need, ironically, they need Arizona to lose because Arizona beat them, and right now they're tied. So they would need Arizona to fall to Utah or Arizona State. 
Otherwise, I think Arizona would have the tiebreaker that would put them in unless there's some kind of three-way tiebreaker because USC has two losses or because Oregon would then get two losses. I don't know how that would all work. Uh, but you need a little bit of help. Let's. I know this isn't the, the main point right now. We're talking more about the court litigation and stuff like that. But how did Oregon State get leapfrogged? How did we decide that Oregon State, who is 12, the 9 and 10 team lose, but Louisville somehow jumps over Oregon State after they laid an absolute beat down on Stanford. Is that a little Someone East Coast bias? That. I worry that it's, bias. <laughs> I I worry to a degree that it's got something to do, you know, with the same reason why college game day isn't over there. Yeah, why you would... had a potential you had a potential top ten matchup. Where is game and day? Instead of game day's at JMU, and I get it. James Madison is a very cool story. Who are they, they are playing? Nine and zero. Oh. Last year, uh, they're playing Appalachian State. Last year, they had a fantastic season. They were more than bowl eligible. I know that they've won a bunch of FCS national titles, and this is just their second year up. And the story is, is when you move up a division, I don't remember if it's two years or if it's four, but the NCAA does not allow you to play in postseason play when you move up a division. Now, here's the thing. James Madison in every other sport is D1, but the way football works, you have D1 FBS, D1 FCS. Because they moved up from FCS, their football team technically cannot participate in bowl games or in the playoff, I believe, but they wouldn't be in the playoff anyways. But so what ESPN and College Game Day are going to try and say and try and do is we are going down, I think they're in Harrisburg. We're going to go to Harrisburg, Virginia, and we're going to have College Game Day, and we're going to showcase what a great story JMU is. Look at how well they're doing. They're winning. They might even be the fun belt champion. And if they are and they're undefeated, they should get to go to a bowl game. NCAA, how dare you? You should go and support this team and support this university. But the problem is, is there is a better game where it should feature Night two day. top 10 teams. Oregon State, who should be 10th, against UW, who should be 5th, down in Research Stadium in Corvallis, where Oregon State has an opportunity to not only end a perfect season for UW, but stick it to a team that has left them basically holding the bag or the remnants of the Pac-12, and you get an opportunity to go and beat them in your home stadium in a rivalry game and control your own destiny to getting into the Pac-12 championship. And what's surprising is Oregon Oregon State's currently favored. Right, and it was opened as UW is the favorite. But here's the thing. The way that Oregon State plays and the way that UW plays, it favors Oregon State. Styles make fights, and UW got all they can handle from Utah. Oregon State plays the same way, and this year Oregon State is better. They have a better running back. They might not have as good of a defense, but you know where they dominate Utah in? They dominate them in the quarterback position. DJU and Aiden Childs are so much better than Barnes and Johnson. It's just the facts. So when you look at this, there is no reason that game day should not be in Corvallis. There is no true reason that they shouldn't be there, but they don't want to go there because they're worried that Oregon State fans would either boycott the game, boycott game day, <laughs> not the game. They're going to boycott. They don't want all those signs up. in the background. Or they show up with signs where they're ripping on ESPN because ESPN did play a part in why this, why Oregon State is on the outside looking in of Power Five football. They did. 
They went yeah. to the Pac-12 with a deal. Pac-12 said, no, we want a little bit more. They said, okay, went to the Big 12 instead. And now all the other teams were able to find a spot to take care of them, except for Oregon State and Washington State. And they've made it clear by going out and attacking Washington State that they don't really care, right? When Dickert went after ESPN and he went after Lee Corso, yeah, they don't care about the Pac-12. And now all of a sudden, when you have a moment to showcase, and that's what that show is for. That show is to showcase college football. And you have an opportunity where you can showcase the biggest game of the week because Herb Street's still calling the game. So they still value it in a primetime slot. You have an opportunity to go to Corvallis and have an electric atmosphere and go and showcase one of the craziest stories in college football this year. And instead, you're going to go to the second, maybe third, fourth biggest story in a game that no one cares about. It's not I even checked, on ESPN. It's on ESPN+. I, Plus. I haven't checked, but, I mean, what's Appala- Appalachian State doing right now? You know, is JMU just going to blow them out? Not as good. I mean, JMU's not necessarily going to blow them out. It's still – it's Appalachian State. They're a good team, but JMU's going to be favored. It's not yeah. as good of a game as what should have been a top ten matchup. That's the other. Yeah, point. and, and I, I mean, on top of on top of the the Heisman front runner being in that game, playing against you know potentially he's not is the front runner anymore. Who's the front runner now? Bo Nix. Bo Nix is. Yeah, Penix just got got beat out um, by by Bo Nix. Twenty nine touchdowns to two interceptions. Wow. Yeah, Louisville jumped them, and they won thirty-one to twenty-four against the two and eight Virginia team. Oregon State beat Stanford sixty-two to seventeen or something like that. But Louisville did enough to jump them. That's right. Uh, reflect the sun. Twenty-four twenty-one. It was an amazing game. It was Martinez's coming out game for sure, and Oregon State should have won that game. They were in control for most of that game, and they should have won it. Now, it's a better UW team than last year, but it's also a better Oregon State team. This should be an amazing game, and they should have an opportunity to showcase the best game of the weekend, and they're not going to, in a primetime slot on their TV station and on their airwaves. Yeah, that's a shame. It should be a shame. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really the the big game from this coming week for college, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you got Utah, Arizona. That's going to be a great game. Arizona's ranked seven, 17 now. Utah is 22. It'll be a good game. I uh, The Utah team is really, really good defensively. Offensively, they struggle. This is going to be a true test for Fifta. Um, he struggled a little bit against Oregon State's defense. This is a better defense, uh, like I said, when Kyle Whittingham is saying this is one of the best defenses he's ever coached, it's that good of a defense. They are that good. This team has no business having the record that they have and being as good as they have been. They've been in every game but the Oregon game. Every game against UW, they beat USC. You know, they were in the Oregon State game. Whenever they've had a big game, they have been in it. It's because of this defense. If they can stop FIFTA, then, of course, Utah will win this game. It seems like Barnes is starting to do better. Um, so that should be a big key for them. But if FIFTA can play 90% stat, stats-wise of what he has been and not turn the ball over, 
Arizona might win this game. Arizona, as good as like Oregon State has been, we kind of knew Oregon State was going to be this good. Arizona might be the best story of the Pac-12 because they weren't supposed to be anything. They've been really and good. And then they they found this kid, and you should have beat USC. You were in it with them late. You were in it tight with UW until the very end. You beat Oregon State. Roll WSU. Really freaking good this year. Yeah, and yeah. you know they if they beat Utah, they'll have won what four, three or four games where you were going up against a ranked opponent. That's big time. Yeah, it looks like one, two, three. Yeah, four would be Utah. Utah. Yep, yep. Now, here's a a conspiracy theory. Um, What if uh, College Game Day didn't want to go to Corvallis this week because they know that next week there's going to be the Civil War in Eugene? What if Oregon State State was the highlight two weeks in a row? (laughs) Well... Here's the problem with that. When's the Civil War being played? It's November. Let me see. It's, it's next being week. Played right? on Black Friday. You can't have a college game day show, a Saturday oh, show. Oh wow! When the other game is on Friday. The other issue with that, there is a bigger game that weekend with a more historic rivalry that they will go to on that Saturday. They're going to go to Michigan, Ohio State. You have the number two and number three team in the country playing against each other. That's where they will be. You got crying Ryan. You got America's team. They're going there. Yeah. Well, that kills that theory. They screwed Oregon State. Yeah, that's just upsetting. I mean, it's like when you have a a monopoly or an oligopoly, whatever you want to call it, an ESPN, and then they just – they have complete control over where the attention is. And they're like, Oh, this, I don't like this over here. Let's just, you know, we're not going to put eyeballs over here because that doesn't go into our agenda. That's just really frustrating. Right. Well, and and the thing that, that is brutal is if they went, I think it would be a raucous environment and it might be good for them. You know, like sometimes you get your most views when you're the villain. There's a reason everybody loves Stone Cold Steve Austin because he was an anti-hero. He was a villain. Go into Corvallis. Let Pat McAfee kind of be a villain. Get people rocking. Get people yelling because guess what? I'm going to pay attention. I would pay attention. And I think a lot of people who might not normally pay attention would pay attention to that game. Instead, you're going to JMU versus Appalachian State. It's like, like okay, like the JMU story is cool, and it's a bummer that they're getting hosed. I think they shouldn't be. I think you should bring more light to it, but there's other ways to bring that attention to light. The other thing, here's the most brutal thing of it all. JMU's been in the FBS for two years. This is the third time college game day has gone there. Oregon State has been in the FBS for however long it's been created. Guess how many times they've gone to Corvallis? Has it been zero? Once. One. In 2010 for the Civil War, when Oregon was like the number one or number two team in the country and Oregon state could have maybe knocked them off. And if they knocked them off, Oregon state would then get to go to the Rose bowl. Okay. So it was, you were either having a national champion uh, contending team, obviously, or you were having a packed a Rose bowl for Oregon state, their first Rose bowl. And I don't know how long that's the only time they've gone to Corvallis. So it wasn't even really about Oregon state. It was more about Oregon. 
never, never the underdog that gets, uh, I don't know. It's a attention. shame. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, it's, it's a West coast underdog. If this was the story and Oregon state, instead of being Oregon state was, I don't know, Texas state, but they were in the big 12 <laughs> or, you know, like TCU, Texas A&M in the sec. Texas guarantee you they'd be down there. Guaranteed. Yeah. I guess it is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a great matchup this weekend, though. And like I mentioned, you know, they have a shot at win- winning the Pac-12 championship. I didn't see Oregon State mm-hmm. coming at it this strong. Um, I know that you saw that they had the potential, but um, yeah, the potential. I mean, WCU, WCU and OSU are going to be a powerhouse conference next year. They're going <laughs> to dominate. I, Your boys got to get right because you guys, first four weeks of the year. What in man, the world is happening? WSU was the best team in college football. And then bye week hits and they're horrible, man. And, and yeah. the part that's brutal is they're getting yards. Ward, Kim Ward isn't having too many turnover issues. I mean, he hasn't been Kim Ward of the first four weeks. But, I mean, against Oregon, he got 439 yards, but he only had one touchdown. Oregon wanted him to have 439 yards because they knew the minute that he got inside, you know, the 30, they'd clamp down on him or he'd make mistakes. It seems to me when you look at Dickert, he's lost that entire locker room. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I would say it's too soon to fire him. That also is not something that I'm comfortable coming out saying that someone should lose their job. Um, I did see that but, he was going to be super hands-on with the defense moving forward. I know that he yeah, said that. He's got to figure out something. I wonder, and I'll be interested to see, whenever the transfer portal opens, I think it's in December, I'll be interested to see how many players enter the portal. And I'll also be interested to see if Dickert jumps ship to a, to a different opening. I'll yeah. Be I was asked that question a few times on uh, what, what was it? Michigan state had an op- the opening and right. Or where else he might try to go, but right. Some of the shine might've worn off him a little bit, but to have this big of a turnaround after you had looked so stinking good early in the year. And it wasn't like Colorado, like everyone knew, hey, Colorado looks good, but th- they're frauds. Like the wheels are going to fall <laughs> off for Colorado. WSU didn't look like frauds. Now, I I don't think I ever fully bought into them winning the Pac-12, but buying into them being an eight, nine win team, hell yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. They looked like that. That's how good they looked because I knew that Oregon State team was good, and they beat that Oregon State team, and they beat them legitimately. It wasn't like they had some stuff go right. There wasn't anything fluky. So something happened in that bye week and I'll be interested to see if there's a mass exodus in that portal. Yeah. Yeah. Cam Ward still has the seventh uh, highest passing yards in the nation mm-hmm. and they're now zero and six over the last six, four and six on the year. Right. Did you hear about the uh, uh, MLB GM meetings? So I know that there's some smoke coming out about a, uh, Mariners being in some big name uh, opportunities. They're starting to swim in some big ponds. Yeah. Um, so first off, I wanted to see if you knew that uh, it was cut a half day short, like potentially a day because like 10% of the executives became ill with what originally was thought to be Mono. food poisoning, but then it turned out to be like a stomach virus that was going around. Uh, 
funny headline, but like, hey guys, but, um, you're in Texas, don't eat the sushi. Right. <laughs> Arizona. Yeah. There's no water yeah. around here. <laughs> Worse, don't eat the sushi, dude. Yeah. I was thinking, I was hoping it would be like mono. <laughs> Yeah. Like what a great story it would be like, yeah, we lost 10% of the GMs. What's the issue? Mono. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reflect the sun illness. They never say COVID anymore, which is why I don't believe their narrative. Yeah. I don't know what, what went on there, but uh, it wasn't food the poisoning. They say illness. Yeah. yeah. They say illness. Take them at their word. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the Mariners are in some ponds. I mean, I'm looking at the Bob Nightingale article right now. He's a, uh, depending on, you know, he's put out some stuff that hasn't been completely accurate in the past, uh, but he has a lot of inside information from the GM meetings. Mm -hmm. And one of them was that Blake Snell wants to be a Seattle Mariner. He didn't really cite how he came about finding that out. I mean, it's pretty much public knowledge that someone that, grew up in a hometown wants to play for the hometown mm -hmm. team. That's kind of obvious, but and that would good. be it. Yeah. That would be a huge pickup that they got Blake Snell. Yeah. I, the, here's how I look at it. You have an opportunity at what four big names. You've been linked to four people, right? You've been linked to Snell, Shohei, Soto and Alonzo. I think if you're Seattle and you are a rational Seattle fan, if you get one, it's expect you should get one. You need to have one, and that's a victory. If you get two, you have to be the happiest fan base on the planet. Oh, yeah, if you because get two, you finally got Well, you finally got your owner to either trade for people and pay money for them, or you got your owner to go throw a bag at someone in free agency, an owner who has been known for being stingy. If you can get that, get one or two of those players, it's a huge deal. If you don't get any of them, I think that that means that this free agency is a disappointment. There's no more of like, hey, we didn't get Simeon, but we got Colton Wong. Like, we're not doing that, right? Yeah. We're not, You're not hey, taking any chances didn't... at this point. You're going for the guaranteed right. guys. 100%. We're not, we're not doing any more like, hey, we didn't get, you know, Juan Soto, but we got Tay Oscar. Like, right. no. You need to go get a big name. But if you went out and you told me, that the Mariners got either Blake Snell, Alonzo, Shohei, or um, Soto. Soto. That, to me, is a victory. One of them, I'm happy. You've done your job. If you get none of them, that seat better be getting hot. Yeah, and there's a lot At of... At least 54% hot. Yeah, and there's a lot of possibilities with how it could go down. I mean, uh, some people commented on my video of Blake Snell yesterday that he's been super inconsistent. And I pointed out that his track record essentially was the same as Robbie Ray before the Mariners signed Robbie Ray to that contract, uh, mm -hmm. to that deal. Robbie Ray was a five-year, $115 million contract. The Luis Castillo extension that he uh, just happened this last year was like five-year, 115 a little less than that because of the signing bonus. But Blake Snell likely would be getting paid a little bit more than that. But even if they didn't get Blake Snell, if they were to get like an Aaron Nola type person, or there's a decent starting pitcher free agent market right now, uh, or just the list of people that are going to be free agents this year. But the fact right. that Blake's in Seattle wants to play in Seattle, you would think that he would take a little bit of a hometown discount to get him to play, you know, in the, in the Mariners Northwest green. And then, right. Especially. Kind of Blake Snell. Could, yeah. 
Sorry, I was just going to say, I think if you could get Blake Snell, it then makes it easier to free up uh, some of the younger arms. Oh, absolutely. And be willing That's to exactly be willing happened. to trade them. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can well, yeah, go to there's... Blake and go, hey, man, take, you know, take the. Yeah, hey, if we get you, Soto's coming also. <laughs> right. Or yeah. Pete Alonso or, you know, whoever, right? Hey, we can use this to get this. I think that he'd be more likely to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we'll see what other rumors start to come out. It's going to be a very active off season. A lot of teams going to be making a lot of moves. Um, and the, the winter meetings will be taking place from December 3rd through the 6th. And that's when a lot of the big activity starts to really ramp up where free agents signing trades that are being finalized. That's going to be absolute chaos uh, soon after Thanksgiving. But yeah, a lot of moves that are going to be made. Like you mentioned, they're definitely going to be moving young starting pitching. Who that actually is, is up for debate. You know, if they di- decide to move Logan Gilbert, that's a whole different ball game than moving right. Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. Because Logan Gilbert's now a guaranteed guy versus those young guys have just been around for this this one year. If you're moving Gilbert, you better be getting a gigantic right. name. Like, if we're moving Gilbert, it better be for Alonzo or for Soto. Otherwise, unless there's, like, a hidden name that I don't know about that you can go and get that no one sees coming, it just doesn't make sense. He's been so freaking good. If you would have been in the playoffs this year, he's probably, what, your two starter? Yeah, maybe Kirby or Gilbert your three, is your case. two or three. Yeah, those are interchangeable right? guys, basically. Right. So, so when I look at it, if you're going to trade Gilbert, you have to get a big name in return. And then honestly, I I think with Shohei, you go up to him and you say, Hey man, you name your price and we'll make it. It's a blank check. And it's like, you name your price and we will make the money back. You can say it until you're blue in the face. It's his contract doesn't even matter because it's going to pay for himself really, no matter what, it's just going to pay for himself. hundred percent. Yeah. Just hand him the check. (laughs) <laughs> throw the money at him. And here's the thing. If he's like in a year, I demand to still pitch. All right, dude, you're pitching every six days or I'm moving you into the bullpen because I don't want to risk losing you long-term. Right. But just I'm, throw the money at him, get it done. Right. Can you imagine this team with, you know, if you told me you were able to go out and get Blake Snell and Shohei, right? Like that's pie in the sky. Those are the two that you're able to grab you have easily the best pitching staff in baseball. If not the best, your top two or three and your hitting, which was an, an, it was an issue for you this last year. You just took your DH spot and went from what Tommy LaStella, Mike Ford to the Dylan. best DH in baseball, the best yeah, player in baseball right now. Yeah. 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 And um, so even if they, you gotta hope the Marine layer doesn't affect him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no marine marine layer there with him. Um, even with that scenario, it's like even if you were to get Otani and Snell, you know, you need more bats, you need the contact hitters. You could still trade with the Padres. You can go get uh, Kim or Cronenworth for less cost. Mm-hmm. But it'd be interesting to see if they were to go get Soto and Cronenworth or Kim, and then you know deal some of those young pitchers. Maybe mm-hmm. throw in Cole Young, one of the Mariners' top prospects. They're going to make some moves that are going to 
deplete some of the top of the farm system, but I mean, it's going to be so worth it. Right. Well, and then also like, I'm interested in seeing how some of these prospects turn out. Um, after the year I heard about Ryan bliss and he plays a yeah, position Ryan bliss. that we, that we need. Let's keep that guy. And I want to see how that guy turns out. I mean, not everyone is Julio, but you know, I get Kelmick isn't what he was supposed to be and he hasn't lived up to what everyone expected him to be. But if you told me that the expectation wasn't as high and he had, you know, he was more of a, a normal round guy, he's like a 20th round pick or something like that. You'd be pretty happy with how Kelmick has Kinzone is another example. Like I want to see a lot of Kinzone and Marlowe. I want to see these guys because they're young and they haven't totally proven and Kelmick still, he shows flashes. Like I want to see these guys, but I'm not beholden to them. I want to see him, but if you're telling me I can go get Juan Soto. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you mentioned uh, Ryan Bliss. Uh, Ryan Divish posted earlier today that DePoto loves Ryan Bliss and raves about him as their potential second base baseman of the future. And the comps that he's been getting, which Ryan shot down pretty quickly because, you know, he's Ryan Bliss has played 60 games in AAA and 68 games in AA, but he's been getting comps to Altuve because, I mean, he's just mashing across all levels. He's like 5'6", five, 5'7", five, as well, second baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won, like, the gold glove in the Arizona Fall League recently this, this last week. Right. So a lot of potential in Ryan Bliss, whether he's going to be the opening day on the roster opening day is up in question, but if you can be contributing at some point over like a Caballero um, or Haggerty, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Right. That'd be good. And, step, and you so. know what? Like he, he's someone too, with the numbers that he's put up. I mean, he was like, what a 40, 60 guy or something like that. in minors last year, it was high. Maybe 20, 60. I don't remember, but he was putting up good numbers, not just speed, but power as well. And he can hit for contact. I- if that's a guy that you told me like, Hey, we will not get rid of him because in two years, he's your starting second baseman. Fine. I can have that conversation. Cause a lot of your team is still young. Right. So he fits into your timeline. But when I start looking at most of the guys in the farm system, I wouldn't be beholden to them. I really wouldn't be because I feel like you have an opportunity to win and win now. And the last two years, I mean, I feel like it's been proven. Like, you just need to get into the dance. Arizona got into the dance, and they went all the way to the World Series. You know? They had a worse record uh, than the Mariners. <laughs> right, and they, got, and they got in, and they got into the World Series. The Phillies last year, they got in. They got all the way to the World Series. And then Texas shows you that, yeah, sometimes you can buy championships. You got to buy the right players. You can't just do what the Mets did and just throw money at everybody. But if you go in and you say, hey, these are my four or five key targets and I'm willing to overpay for them and overspend and I'm going to give up some of my farm system so that I can trade for good back-end talent who know how to win in the postseason and I'm willing to do that, go and do that. So find some variation of that of like, we're going to spend our money, but we're going to spend it on the right people. and We're going to give up our assets, but we're going to give it up on the right people. And we're not going to sit there and just go, eh, we tried for two days. It wasn't enough. What can you do? Like, let's, yeah. let's go do it. Go get him. And the the Rangers excelled in every facet of the front office. It's uh, draft and develop. It's trade and develop. Trade for uh, proven guys, and then also mm-hmm. signing big free agents. All of those, right. all of those levels, their current roster contributed on, in a huge way 
across all of those different levels. The Mariners are really like one factor away and that's the free agents, the money, because right. they've, they've proven that they can develop quality or, you know, draft and develop quality pitching. They've got mm -hmm. the Julio and other guys in the farm system that they brought through. They've traded for guys. Now it's, Hey, go get those three guys, four guys via free agency, and then take your team to the next level. And that's really what you need. Right. Guys that fit into the system and understand what they're supposed to do. And then, I, you know, I want guys with fire. I want guys who react the way Cal Raleigh did. I want guys hey, who react has the way J.B. Crawford. Oh, yeah. You know, he just, he just needs to stop fire into stuff. the cooler sometimes, but, you know. But he's got – I like Kelnick. I think he gets I, I a too. bad rap. I, I really, I really like Jared Kelnick. I know the joke is, you know, I, my Twitter is his uh, Stan account, his propaganda poster, but <laughs> I, I really do like him. And it's getting to a point though, where it is similar to Dustin Ackley of like, all right, we probably know what you are. Right. And I'm okay with that. It's a serviceable player, but if you have an opportunity to upgrade that position, you should. The problem is I think because his what everyone said he was going to be was so far up here that the fact that he's like a decent outfield bat a decent player it makes it feel like he's a crappy player and a horrible player where like if you got him as like ah this guy's been cut by a couple teams and he hasn't done that well in the league and then you look at him and it's like oh he's a decent bat he's a decent player yeah, i'm fine with him i'm okay with what he's doing that's kind of what he'd be um i just when, when i look at this team I, I think if you want to get the fan base back on your side after everyone was pissed off in the offseason, you need to go make a splash and you need to get one or two of those big name free agents or go trade for someone that we didn't see coming, right? If you can go and make a big time trade and get someone like, oh, wow, I had no idea that guy was even on the market. The Mariners got Ronald Acuna Jr.? What? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's on the market. Yeah. I don't Especially with MVP. those with those contracts that the Braves sign their guys to at such a young age, they sign That's them to smart. super team friendly deals. Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna. Yeah, they well they overpay for them at the start, and then if they turn into what they're supposed to, it's actually an underpayment. Uh, it, it's super smart, but like the Atlanta Braves are a perfect example. They had Freddie Freeman, and Freddie decided to leave to LA, and they went and they got Olson. You know, and you hit Olsen, 50 bombs. <laughs> right, right. And he struggled for the first, you know, little bit his first season, but now he's been good and he's been great. And he, you know, if he wasn't playing on the same team as Ronald Acuna, the first guy to be 40 40 in I don't know how long 40 70. Right. First 40 70 guy ever. Yeah. We're talking about a dude in Olsen who might have been an MVP candidate, might have been an MVP winner. So, you know, go, go, go start knocking on the big wig doors. It's time. <laughs> and then I guess let's uh, cover a little NFL while we're at it. Um, what are you seeing in the NFL so far? Um, who are your teams that are outperforming, underperforming? Any, anything notable? That uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, CJ Stroud and all you Stroud boy fans. Um, he is not going to be the MVP this year. However, he is phenomenal. I think it's fair to say, and this might be a rush to judgment, but he should have been the number one overall pick. Carolina messed up. And I'm not saying that Bryce Young isn't going to be good. 
CJ Stroud might be the exception to the rule of you shouldn't draft an Ohio State quarterback. That dude in the pocket is dotting up teams. He's dotting up defenses. He's able to read what defenses are trying to do. And he's making a lot of receivers down in Houston look like they are better than what they should be. A lot of those receivers at Houston, they were at other places and they got cut or they didn't make it. Shoot, some of these guys weren't even good in college. They were seventh round draft picks. They were guys where it's like, why are you coming out? You should be in college another year or two. And CJ Stroud is making them work. And then defensively, D'Amico Ryans is one of the smartest defensive minds in all of football. And he has turned that defense, which two and three years ago, we were talking about them being old, washed up, beat up, relying too much on them being better, you know, five years earlier. He's reinvigorated that team. He's got it younger. They're playing fast, they're playing physical. And right now, if the playoffs start today, the Houston Texans would be in. How crazy is that? A team that had, what, the number two overall pick, and then they were supposed to have the 10, and they traded up to the four or the five overall pick. That team turned it around that fast with a first-time ever head coach. Very, very impressive. Um, They've got to be the underdog story of the year. Also, how about Joshua Dobbs? He's he's been ridiculous. Fast or not? Yeah. Fast or not? He's gonna wanna, come back down to earth, but it is very impressive what he's doing. I want to make a player profile on that guy because he's just super interesting. I mean, right? He's a genius. He's literally a genius. He was you, in NASA. You got to follow him on TikTok because he's got some cool videos. He does. He's one of those guys that's actually on social media making some videos. Yeah. That's kind of cool, but. You know, he's been in the league since 2018. I was trying to look back and see how he got to where he was. But he was just, you know, the backup for a while. He had this opportunity with Kyler Murray being out at Arizona. You know, he didn't do, I mean, the Cardinals didn't win with him. But he showed enough for the Vikings to to trade for him. Right. Well, and, and he did well in Tennessee last year. I mean, he wasn't amazing, but they knew they couldn't go with uh, Willis. And Tannehill was out, so they went with Josh Dobbs, and he showcased that he could at least be serviceable. Now, I think he's him or Gardner Minshew is taking over the Ryan Fitzpatrick role of it just like wherever they go, the starting quarterback's going to get hurt, and they're going to be good enough to where they win like three or four games, probably two that they shouldn't win, but then they're going to have bad games where it's like, yeah, we lost, and they threw two interceptions or they fumbled, you know? But they're going to be entertaining the entire way through. So I, it is fun to watch that ascension. I, I am a hater, though. Like, I think Josh Dobbs is good enough. But he's – you're not winning a Super Bowl with Josh Dobbs. He's got some wheels, Josh too. Dobbs, he can move. He can move. <laughs> he's – he's, you know what Josh Dobbs is? He's probably the best backup in the NFL. He's either a great backup or he's a horrible starter. He's one <laughs> of those two. <laughs> Yeah, some really fun stories in the NFL. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, see how the rest of the season plays out. Anything else noteworthy that you saw this week that you want to touch on? Winners or losers? Winners or losers of the week. Uh, loser is, well, same game, Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you started out the year in a hole, and you're like, oh, well, we came out of it last year, so who cares? Well, you were basically perfect last year. You're not perfect this year. Playoffs started today. You're not in. So the Bengals got to figure out a way to fight, scratch, and claw their way back into playoffs because they're in the toughest division in football right now. The AFC North, 
I mean, shoot, anybody can win that division. If you told me at any point any one of these teams could win it and did win it, I'd probably believe you. Now, Cleveland, it would be because Deshaun Watson stopped being a pumpkin and turned back into Cinderella. You know, he turned into the horse-drawn carriage. Uh, with Baltimore, they look like the best team, but they have some really dumb losses. They have two really good wins against Detroit and Seattle where they just blew them out. But they blew this game to Cleveland. I mean, they lost to Indianapolis in a game they shouldn't have. So, you know, I could see them finding a way to lose it. The Steelers are the craziest story in all of football because everyone knows that they're not that good. Yet they have three losses because their defense is unbelievable. Offensively, they're horrible. They have a minus point differential, yet they still find ways to win. It's the craziest thing. They had no business beating the Ravens offensively, but they found a way to do it. Their defense and TJ Watt, that that side of the ball is so good, and that player is so dominant that they make this offense somehow have positions where, well, we're starting from the 30, so we might as well score. Because if they're starting on their side of the ball, they're not going to score. So, you know, and then you go through it's Cincinnati, it's Joe Burrow. Like, of course they could win the whole thing. So you look at that division, that division is crazy. Cincinnati, they're a loser. And then the other loser is Buffalo. They just fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. Josh right. Allen, he looks like Josh Allen from three and four years ago. He's making dumb mistakes, trying to be too much of a gun. They lost to the Broncos. They lost to the Broncos. And here's the worst part. They should have won that game even as badly as they played with all the turnovers that they had, they should have won that game because Denver had to rush out on the field to get a kickoff and they didn't get it done and didn't get the kick through the upright, but you tried to sub your field goal block on. So you had 12 guys on the field. What are you doing? Just leave your nickel defense out there. You're not going to block the kick anyways. Who cares? And just hope that you win the battle. And you would have, if you would have just left your nickel group out there, you win that football game but instead you gave the kicker another opportunity with an untimed down and he drills it buffalo and they're out of the they're out of playoff picture right now too they're below cincinnati so buffalo big time losers big big losers all around justin fields i think he's coming back this next week is he gonna turn this thing around no leaving bajan bajan's got more wins than him this year anyways d2 (laughs) power baby i support my d2 brethren (laughs) <laughs> he's a winner Tyson Bajan I think he's a Harlan Hill winner well for all four all four of my fantasy teams in which I drafted Justin Fields I need him to come back and start rushing like he <laughs> did last year <laughs> all right well then then for you okay yeah but oh, yeah Tyson Bajan get him get him a backup job somewhere kid's awesome Joshua Dobbs Gardner Minshew and then that guy the best backups in the league Tyson, right. Tyson Bajan best best backups yeah well, yeah, because Heineke kind of starts now. <laughs> well, all right. Um, I think that'll do it for this week. Appreciate your time again, Will. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to like, subscribe, give it a share, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Uh, hopefully you jump on and, and uh, tune in with us. We'll see you next week.